This past week, one week ago, I should say, Shabbat, Rabbi Hammer stood here and spoke eloquently about the matriarch, Rebecca, a woman of uncanny and unparalleled kindness and generosity of spirit, who represents, she said, in each of us, that voice of selfless initiative, of courageous assent to participate in the suffering of others, and to reach out a hand, incline an ear, extend a lifeline of hope and purpose to those in need. This week, the Torah refocuses our attention on the drama of chosenness, the messy narrative of the life of Isaac and his two sons, Esau and Jacob. In their story, we are seeking this week some way forward. We're seeking some message. And as usual, the Torah does not disappoint. If we were to understand each of them and each of what they bring this week and choose one salient point, one lesson the Torah wishes us to take home, then that will be sufficient. So let's focus for the next 15 minutes on these three people in this week's reading. First, Isaac. Yitzchak. What can we say about Isaac? Chosen, sacrificed, silent. These are the images we have of him from the last two weeks of the Torah. Even last week, passively involved in his own wedding and future. And finally, as the last bit of information, we are told that Isaac last week, after his father Abraham dies, we'll get back to that in a moment, Isaac decides to live in a community in a vicinity called Be'er Lachai Ro'i. Be'er Lachai Ro'i. For those of you who are familiar with the, with the Torah's text, that is the, the place of the banishment of his brother Yishmael. This last vision of Isaac, we see him as a solitary figure living in the vicinity or perhaps, as one commentator says, living with day to day the reality of a father who banished all of his children. Isaac lives in and with a pain, a place that recalls events described by some commentators as the minor akidah, the minor sacrifice. Many of you who were here last week would imagine that with the discovery of Rebecca, Isaac's love life, Isaac's lifeline, perhaps now Isaac will live a full life, a life of love and warmth. But the Torah reminds us last week and in a moment in this week's portion Isaac can't move forward. Isaac is very much stuck in Be'er L'chai Ro'i. As if to accent this point, the Torah begins in the most anomalous of ways in this week's reading. A genealogy of Isaac doesn't yield children. Eile toldot Yitzchak, these are the 
progeny. These are the children, the generations of Isaac. Abraham holidit Yitzchak. Abraham gave birth to Isaac. Shockingly, the Torah begins its genealogy of Isaac's progeny with the birth of Isaac himself. Nowhere else in the Torah does that appear. It is as if to say, these are the descendants of Isaac. Isaac is Abraham's son. We dare not read Isaac's life and the life of his own future without first glancing at his relationship with his father. Isaac is every bit his father's son. Abraham really does generate Isaac. And what are the points of that relationship? Of course, we're all familiar with the Akedah, with the sacrifice. We're familiar with all of those points. But one point stands out more than all of those. In the little-known moment in last week's reading, at the end of the Parsha, the Torah tells us, Vayvarech Adonai Yitzchak, and God blessed Isaac. Ask the commentators, God blesses Isaac? Isn't that Abraham's job? Indeed, Abraham is the only one of the three patriarchs who does not bless his son. Isaac blesses Jacob and Esau. Jacob will bless all of his children. And Isaac will never receive the blessing of his father. Isaac can't move on. This truth, this truth of Isaac's life, the truth of unfinished business and how it plays out in our lives, that trauma often begets more trauma, that causes and effect follow inexorably one from the other. And as we read in the beginning of the Parsha, Isaac inevitably follows his father's life to a T. Isaac digs the same wells. Isaac also has an issue with his own wife. Every story of his father is repeated in the story of Isaac. Can you say repetition compulsion? Isaac, where are you, Isaac? The pain that we don't live through, we pass on. And Isaac hasn't yet lived through his pain. The Torah wishes us to bring attention to that. It will be, of course, ironic. Isaac will try to keep one of his children from being banished. The one, Esau, that he thinks most likely to be banished, just as he had a brother who was banished, Ishmael. Of course, the irony is that in keeping Esau close, he pushes Jacob away. And so we move into Jacob and the story of Jacob. Jacob's character, of course, as everybody here knows, is flawed. Jacob's character, as everybody knows, is missing. Jacob's character, as everyone knows, must transform. It must evolve. The first glimpse we have of him, though, other than having to grab his brother's heel on the way out, is this. We are told in the Parsha, Vayehav Yitzchak et Esav, and Isaac loved Esau, Kitzayed Befiv, for he would bring him tasty food. Verivka Oheves es Yaakov, and Rivka, Rebecca, loved Jacob. Vayazed Yaakov Nazid, and Jacob made soup. 
Vayavo Esav minasadev huayev, and Esau came from the, the field and he was tired. What's the connection between the love of the parents for the children and the ensuing verse? Esau was loved by Jacob because he made, by, by Isaac because he made him wonderful stew. And Rebekah loved Jacob. And Jacob was making stew. There doesn't seem to be any segue whatsoever to complete non sequitur. Or Chaim Akadosh, Rav Chaim Ibn Attar says something very beautiful. Perhaps you saw that Esau's feeding of Isaac was effective in producing love. So he also pursued the path of cooking a meal in order to bring closer his father's heart, as had Esau. How sad. Jacob stews, stew, to be like his brother Esau. If only I can be like Esau, then my father will love me. If only I can do what Esau does, then I will also have the blessing of my father Isaac. If only I can be what he wants me to be. It becomes absurd. If only I would wear his skins. If only I can fool him twice in one lifetime. Jacob will go to such great lengths to be loved. And in that moment, the Torah is highlighting the crux of chosenness. To be chosen, to be unchosen, to be rejected. Esau will go to, I'm sorry, Jacob will go to great lengths to be loved. And in that, Jacob is each and every one of us when we forget who we are. Jacob is each and every one of us when we lie to the truth of who we are in order to be loved. The Torah says, remember Jacob. It won't end with him until it ends with him. And finally, Esau won't be shocked to learn that Esau, in this week's Torah reading, is a character that the Torah wants us to sympathize with. Esau, who is the scourge of rabbinic texts. Esau, who is seen in such, di- in such polarities. Esau is a character who the Torah goes out of its way to detail his relationship with his father Isaac and the intimate moment that is lost. As readers, we feel for Esau and for his father Isaac. We're drawn into their subjective states. We enter into Isaac's dawning realization that he has been deceived. We identify with with Esau, whose first thought is not betrayal or desire or revenge, but simply sharp and shocking pain. He screams, Barcheni gam ani avi. And Isaac's helplessness and Esau's agonizing weeping all the more poignant given that Esau is not given to crying. The scene of father and son, deceived, duped, and disappointed, robbed of a moment of intimacy and great tenderness, is most moving. The question, of course, is why does the Torah purposefully and intentionally arouse our sympathies for this character? It isn't that he should have been the heir. 
a man who despises the birthright, Vayivez Esav isn't the heir to Avraham. Rebecca knows too well, and in the story of Genesis, everyone, when mothers know something, they know it better than others. The Torah is, in my opinion, making a point that the Zohar HaKadosh, the Holy Zohar, makes in the 13th century. The Zohar says that the cry of Esav is the cry, the cry of Esav, when he, re- when he doesn't receive the birthright, the blessing. That cry of Esav prolongs exile, says the Zohar. The cry of Esav reverberates through history. And the Torah paints a picture of Esav at the end of this week's reading to tell us that winners and losers, it doesn't matter. It's about pain. And the pain of the other that we keep at a distance is what alienates us and exiles us. I can't but help and think about how quickly Hurricane Sandy has made her way off of the front pages. How quickly those who were so close a week ago begin to recede with the floodwaters. I can't help but think about the pundits who would have us debate who is right and who is wrong in age-old fights over territory and land while children die. I can't help but think of the ways that we distance ourselves from all of the cries, how we keep ourselves from feeling it deeply in our bones. And that concerns me. It concerns me this Shabbos, even as I pray for my sister in Tel Aviv, even as I pray for my brothers and sisters who are in bunkers, I wonder to myself, is the Torah and the Zohar telling us, sure, chosenness, covenant, family, but don't forget the cries. Don't forget the cries. If you forget the cries of Esau, you are doomed. The Torah comes along this week and gives us three important pieces of wisdom. Number one, the Torah says to us, Hey, all of you Isaacs, whatever you don't feel, you won't heal. Isaac and his son Jacob never ask for love. Esau cries for it. Isaac and his son Jacob are never frontal until later. Esau says, Bless me, Father. Is there not one more blessing for me? Is there not one more blessing for all of us children of Abraham? Is the world that small? And two, the Torah says, Jacob's deception, it might have worked for a while, but it didn't ultimately work. The Jacob inside each and every one of us has to learn to face and not run from what is true. And lastly, the Torah says, don't forget Esau. Don't forget Esav. Don't forget the cry of those who don't win. Don't forget to include them also in your prayers. Don't forget to open your heart also to them. So I end with a tefillah, a prayer. Just as Esav lifted his voice 
Just as the cry of Jacob and Esau together, of all children, are highlighted in this week's reading. We lift our voices tonight in support of our brothers and sisters who are in harm's way. We too cry to God, when will we have a world of peace and brotherhood? When will those who hate us stop hating us? And when will there be an end to the pain and suffering caused by worn wisdoms and old options? Or Chadash al ear, may a new light shine on Zion, a new light, a new way, a new path that echoes the beauty of our Torah's eternal wisdom. We pray for that day when all of God's children will know they are chosen too. Chosen to live lives of holiness and sacred attunement to the one who is beyond all nationalities and beyond all labels. May that day come soon. We pray for it with every ounce of our energy. And let us say, Amen.